0: You're listening to the third cup of coffee podcast. So we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, There's never a lack uh, of what to talk about. I've got thoughts and ideas for things to talk about indefinitely, but I rarely do a one-off message in response to something that has happened in current events. I just normally don't do that. I can only honestly think of maybe two times I've done it over the years Uh, When the Columbine shootings took place, that was such a rare thing that at that time, none of us had ever really comprehended, and I remember taking a Sunday and talking about that. Uh, September 11th was another Sunday in 2001 that uh, we had to set aside and address it. I often reference history, but I rarely focus on immediate current events when I preach, and that's really intentional. Uh, There are a couple of reasons I don't do it, and let me just say we are going to get to Scripture here in a little bit. Um, but I, I want to give you some background and some thoughts around how I'm thinking about this. And so if you're wondering, is he going to talk about the Bible? I, I'll, I'll promise you, I will not leave you without the Bible. But the, there, here's a couple of reasons why I normally don't talk much about current events. One is we have a limited amount of time together, and I really want to focus on the Bible. Uh, most of you in, here and anywhere are not in church every week. The average person uh, in most churches attends two or three times a month. You're like, oh, I'm above average. Well, good, and that, that's great, but but many aren't. And so uh, the average person attends twice or, or three times a month. Uh, that gives me 26 to maybe 30 chances in, in front of them a year. And uh, that gives me a, a 30 minutes of sermon-ish. It gives me about 15 hours of influence into people's lives. And my charge to care for people and to speak into their lives is – Uh, I don't take that lightly. It's too precious. And I don't want to preach the newspaper for 15 hours. So I stick to the Bible far more than current events. If you've ever thought, boy, I wish Randy would address, insert your hot topic here, chances are I'm trying to address it through scripture rather than reaction to things. I want to build oaks of righteousness, not shoots of bamboo. You know, bamboo takes off like crazy, but It's bendable, and I I want us to be formed into things with roots that grow deep that can withstand storms, and that takes more scripture and less current events. Uh, what What is reported in the news and what captures the imagination of the media is not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is what goes on unnoticed in our own hearts. And so that's where I try and focus as much as I can. Another reason I don't do it very often is because current events are often misinterpreted in the moment and sermon audio lasts for a long time. Uh, I mean, you can say things in a sermon in reaction to something that happened that week and three weeks later, it's not what really happened. Uh, Give me a wave. Are you old enough to remember Walter Conkright? I can't even it. You remember Walter? I remember Walter. I grew up with Walter Cronkite as the host of the CBS Evening News. Uh, Some years ago, Time Magazine said that his name was so uniquely tied to the word trust that it was tempting to say the word should have been buried with him. Uh, I kind of think it was, you know, there's no there's no parallel in the news right now that we look at like we looked at Walter Cronkite. Uh, Because back then he had this large team of individuals that would work hard all day so that at night at six o'clock, Cronkite got it right. Now we have smaller teams of individuals working frantically to make sure we get it fast. And you can't have everything fast and right. And so the 24-hour news cycle that we live in where there's something on constantly and they have to generate content, it has lowered the bar of the quality of our news reporting. And responding immediately to things often lowers the bar of the response. Things are rarely what they seem. Uh, A verse that I have hung to for a considerable amount of time is in Proverbs uh, 18, 17. And it says, and I can tell this to be true, there are two sides to every story. The first one who speaks sounds true until you hear the other side and they set the record straight. And many of us have said things and repeated things and looked back and realized, wow, it wasn't quite the way we thought. So that's one of the reasons I don't respond to current events. The third one, and I am going to respond to events, I'm just explaining why I don't very often, is that people really don't look for their, to their pastor for input on current events. What they look to their pastor for is confirmation of what they already think. They don't really want instruction. They want affirmation of the ideas that they have already put together. And when they don't get that, it's frustrating to them. Uh, just an example, a couple of years ago, I tweeted something fairly benign, an observation about the idea of global warming. And I have strong opinions, but this wasn't even one of them. This was like a fairly mild one. And someone responded on Twitter, it makes me very sad that my pastor sees it that way. And I thought, well, wow, I didn't even know I had the you know, you got sad over what I thought about the weather. That's that's a little horrifying, but I mean, I, I didn't say that to them, but it, it emphasized to me how largely people would like for me to agree with what they think rather than help inform what they think. And I get that. I, I understand that. What I'm laying out here is that I'm trying to be very intentional. I think about what I say and why I say it almost as much as I think about just what I say. Because sometimes motives are not clear, and even the truth can do damage if it's not shared correctly. So I always ponder, before I talk about things that are current, why go there? And if it's not clear that there is gain for the body to go there, I just don't go there. There are times, though, that I feel like I need to say something. And when I do, I want to do it with clarity about why I'm doing it. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the reference of the the events of the week, uh, and really in the last year in our culture, Not to give you an opinion, but to give you some tools to kind of work through those things. Now, here's the part of the message where I tell you what I'm going to tell you and why. And then I'm going to go back and tell you what I'm going to tell you. So when you get to the end, you've you've heard it twice. I'm not repeating myself unintentionally. I am repeating myself. This is what I'm going to tell you this morning. I want to talk about the gravity of this moment in eternity. We do not understand how the events of our life and our nation fit into the tapestry of eternity. We think they stay confined in the day or the week or the month or the year that they happened. That's why so many of us were so excited to see January 1st come as if 2020 was just going to completely dissolve and never have happened. But our lives are connected to history and eternity. I was listening to Francis Chan the other day uh, speak, and he had a roll of, of nylon rope that it looked like it had to have been a couple of hundred yards long. It was a huge spool of rope. And he had the end of the rope. And the very end of the rope was about three inches long and it was painted red. And he said, this red portion of, represents your life. All, just this little bit of this. All you spend your energy on is thinking about what happens in this red portion of the rope, but it is connected to eternity and it affects things far, far down the road. Because of that, current events like the ones of the last year, like the ones of the last week, matter more than we realize. Events of our day will affect the destiny of our nation, and by a natural extension, whether the gospel runs swiftly from this place or whether it's squelched. And it isn't so much about who's in the White House, it's about how freely we can declare who is on the throne. And some of you are going, I can't believe he's going to talk about this week. I I just, I wish he would go on. I want to move on. I don't want to think about this storyline in our country. I'd like to hit delete. I'd like to hit delete on everything that's happened in the last year. I'd like to hit delete on racial unrest. I'd like to hit delete on political unrest. Uh, Most of us would like to hit delete on one, but not the other. To be fair, if we're going to delete it, we got to delete it all. We just can't wait till it's over. Some people would say, you know, that was then, let's just move on. But what has happened has changed the now and the rest of the rope is going to be different. There are almost zero standalone events in our lives. And some events are so significant that they change things for years and perhaps forever. And I think it's important that we think of the last some months as like that. Jesus rebuked people for not understanding the importance of the season they lived in. He said, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you can't interpret the signs of the times. If Jesus rebuked followers for being unaware of the days that they lived in, what sort of rebuke are we being set up for if we keep our head in the sand and try and maintain our own comfort and ignore the weight of the last couple of months and really the last year? So I wanna talk to you to encourage you to understand the way to the days we live in. I also want you to draw encouragement and perspective from scripture rather than current events. I'm not gonna tell you what to think as much as how I wanna talk to you about how to think and conduct yourselves in light of the Bible. Now, no doubt your thought about recent events are evolving. So are mine. I think things I didn't think on Wednesday. I think things I didn't think two weeks ago because knowledge as it's available, is fluid and our own thoughts are fluid. I'm not really terribly concerned with your interpretation or even my interpretation of recent events or those two interpretations matching. Our differences should not destroy our relationship. But each one of us, no matter how we perceive what's going on in our nation right now, is called to walk with God and bring others along. And that calling outweighs our standing on current events. Ephesians 4 talks to us about walking worthy of our calling. And it tells us to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I see a lot of people right now being eager to make political points. A lot of people being eager to argue over things. The thing we are to be most eager about is to maintain our unity so that we're worthy of what we are called to do. If I do this right, you will look beyond differing perspectives to common mission based in scripture. The third thing I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going back to the top of the list and I'm going to tell you about it, but now I'm telling you why, is I want to assure you that even though trouble is here and trouble is coming, we have power to overcome. Now, this may not be a shock to you. I am not a math whiz. I'm just not. I, uh, I'm i okay with spreadsheets because at the end of the day, that's just adding and subtracting. I'm okay with percentages and ratios a little bit. Um, but when you get to things like ninth grade algebra, that's kind of my kryptonite. I'm done. I, I, my mind does not work that way. Some of you are going to text me. That makes me very sad that my my pastor doesn't understand it. ninth grade algebra. There's a lot of things that make you sad if you knew the whole story. I remember when Zion was in high school and I would flip a few pages ahead into his textbook. And I would think this is not going to go well because I know that he doesn't understand it. And he's going to look at me and he's going to think I do and I don't. And then he's going to say, well, dad, do you use this very often? And I'm going to have to admit, no, I don't. Is there anything worse than seeing the future and knowing you're not prepared, you know, to teach your kid that lesson? Anticipation of helplessness is debilitating, and we don't need to live this way. It is not God's plan that we dread the future. The future for the people of God may be bumpy, but it is good. When the Israelites found themselves on the far side of the Red Sea with the water full of pharaohs, horses, and chariots, they were celebrating their freedom. They weren't irked about everything that happened back in the Exodus. There is joy at the end of this journey, and the Egyptians we see today, we're not going to see again. We just need to move on through the spot that we're in. So now that you know what I'm going to say and why I'm going to say it, I'm going to go back to the top of the list. I'm going to say it for real. First of all, I want you to understand the gravity of the situation, of how, of the days that we're living in. Wednesday afternoon, I was sitting in the car, uh, and I was getting text. Steve... Hickey and I were in a three-way text with a friend who lived in Washington, D.C., who was near Capitol Hill at his office, and he was texting us, I just heard they breached the Capitol grounds. And not shortly after that, he texted again, I just heard that they're actually in the Capitol itself. And, you know, I don't know what Steve was thinking at the time, but I didn't know if I believed it. I, I really didn't. I, I hear so much, and I thought, this, this can't be true. We lived in Washington D.C., post nine one one, security is tight, and it's tighter on Capitol Hill than anywhere except maybe the White House. It's certainly far more visible on Capitol Hill. And even in two thousand five, you'd walk past a Capitol Hill police officer in full riot gear on a Tuesday morning. I mean, they there were there were, security was tight. This is how tuned into the events the Capitol Hill police were back in those days. Uh, we had an intern who uh, was raised, I think in Southern Missouri he had a, had a degree in linguistics. And one day he's walking down first street behind the Capitol and he's just snapping pictures. Remember when we used to have cameras, uh, when our phones couldn't take pictures, he's taking pictures. And he had done this a hundred times, but this time the Capitol police stop him. And uh, a man pulls up in a black car and a suit and gets out and, and they start peppering him with questions about what he's taking pictures of. Well, it's Washington DC. If you've ever been on the Hill You almost can't get away from a building you would want to take a picture of. They're everywhere. And he said, I'm just taking pictures of the Capitol and different things. They said, no, no, no. We think you're taking pictures of guard shacks and of security. Well, you couldn't even take pictures without seeing that because they were were everywhere. Eventually, they made him delete all of his camera roll. And uh, he walked back to the office. And he's telling us about this weird incident he had. And Kelsey kind of jokingly said to him, Brandon, you haven't been speaking Russian to people again, have you? And his eyes got huge. He's like, I just had a Russian conversation with a woman in Starbucks. I said, under what circumstances did you have a conversation with in Russian? He's like, well, I looked at her and she looked Russian. So I said, hello in Russian. And we talked for a few minutes. And then five minutes later, I get pulled over by the Capitol Police. And we're kind of chuckling about the coincidence of all this. When our landlord comes to the door of, of the offices, And he brings somebody we've never seen before, and she's there to check the internet. Well, the internet's fine, but she insists on checking it in a Russian accent. And our eyes got huge. I looked at Brandon. I whispered, "Do not engage. Do not engage. I don't know what's going on right now, but please don't talk to her." It's a funny story, but it just goes to show you how tight security is there. When I heard this was happening Wednesday, I was like most of you. I thought, "I can't believe this is happening because of the unlikely logistics." But I also realized that we were in a moment when our children and grandchildren will look back and wonder what it felt like. They won't ask us for all having all the details right. They won't ask us who retreated what. They will ask us the same questions that we asked our parents about Pearl Harbor or D-Day. What did it feel like Would the unthinkable seem to happen in front of you? Did you know then how important it was or did you think it was just another day? Wednesday was not just another day. I am not an alarmist. Kelsey will tell you in the face of danger, I kind of shrug my shoulders and think, what else could happen? Because often nothing does. But I know this, Wednesday and the days since have not just been a couple more days. Wednesday was a flashpoint in a much greater window of time. And the bomb having now gone off, we've seen all sorts of things that it would have been hard to imagine just a couple of days ago. Blacklists are being made of young Capitol Hill staffers who work for specific senators to ensure they will never work again. That is McCarthy-level stuff that we thought we would never hear of again. Twitter banned the president and dozens of people who supported him while leaving the accounts of Pornhub that profits from pornography made out of graphic physical attacks, while leaving the accounts of Iranian Ayatollah Khomeini, while leaving the account of the Chinese embassy Which recently tweeted that their forced re-education camps, prison camps really, for the Uyghur people left the Uyghurs more confident and independent, and they were no longer baby-making machines. Now, Twitter forced them to take that tweet down after days, but left their account intact. This is madness. We've never seen anything like this before, and even those of us who felt like something big is coming... Didn't see this coming. We are in a season that has been marked with things that the Lord warned us would affect and afflict believers as the age begins to transition into the next. And it isn't just this week. It's been months. It's been years. And it has a name. The Bible calls it lawlessness. Throughout the summer, we saw an increase of lawlessness across our nation. We saw many peaceful protests with legitimate concerns. And we also saw cities burned and police stations abandoned. And Seattle even saw areas liberated from the tyranny of things like trash removal in order of making an autonomous zone. They didn't have any clear goals, but they wanted to throw off law and order. Largely, the media made excuses for it, offered a quote from Martin Luther King that said, the riot is the language of the unheard. And that was the narrative until the other side rioted. And in this case, it wasn't called the language of the unheard. It was called treason. And I'm not excusing Wednesday at all. I'm pointing out the absurdity of the lawlessness in our nation for the better part of a year. Have you ever stopped to think that if we were consistent with our hearts, they were both wrong to the same degree? And in saying that, I realize I'm losing some of you who have picked a favorite side. There is something uniquely religious in a negative sense about calling one's behavior holy and someone else's identical behavior profane. In fact, Jesus addressed it to the religious people of his day. He said Matthew 23, 28, So you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It is religiosity if you think the laws don't apply to you, but you demand that they would be applied to others. And that's where we are on both very far extremes of the divide. It's lawless and it's hypocrisy on the right and on the left. Our legal system, admittedly, drastically flawed. Our governmental system, drastically flawed. No law is perfect, but Jesus. And when our society abandons what we do have for laws, it's not only our society that suffers, it's our own hearts. Now, obviously, our society is going to struggle forward because on both sides of any issue, the riot has become an acceptable form of expression. And in that, we lose any chance for productive dialogue. Some of you are thinking, I wasn't even there. What what does this have to do with me? Or if I was there, I didn't participate in that. I only went for the corn dogs. And we, like I said, we had a ton of friends in D.C. on Wednesday who didn't riot. And and last summer, we had friends who marched for justice and, and they didn't riot. Let me draw the connection here on a personal relational level. Lawlessness, whether we participate in it or not, has the potential corrosive effect on our hearts just because it's happening around us. Jesus talked about this. Speaking of a season of increased lawlessness around the world, and this is what he warned people about. Matthew 24, 11 to 12. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. We are on the brink of a time where lawlessness, forget the cause, lawlessness is increasing. And the greatest cost to the body of Christ will not be freedom or representation. The greatest cost will be our love for one another. In context, the verse before that says, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Who is this talking about? Is this talking about uh, your average unbelieving neighbor? No, this is talking about believers who disagree on the interpretation of the chaos at the time and don't have the grace in their hearts for one another and the relationships begin to break down. This is how what happens in Matthew Matthew 10 actually happens where brothers and sisters and fathers and children, the relationships break down. The lawlessness on display in our country right now, both both political extremes, can destroy more than our country. It can devastate families and friendships and even the church when we see mobs invading and birding our cities or invading our government buildings, doing things that as a group that many of them would never have done as individuals, you have to recognize it's a new day that we live in. And it's more important than it has ever been in our lifetimes to maintain a posture of love and grace towards one another because it's not just our country under attack, it is our hearts. The events of the past year and even the past few days have cost some of you relational equity with people. Others have felt people pulling away from you, or, or you've done the pulling away, and maybe you even thought it's on principle, but it has been greatly added to by the spirit of lawlessness that is in operation today. I want you to understand the gravity of the situation, of what we have to lose. Our hearts are at stake. Even when the battle seems to be 1,500 miles away and on television, our love must not grow cold towards one another, or we are no different than those riding on either extreme. I told you, I wanted you to understand the gravity of the situation. Second, I want you to understand how to live according to scripture through the events of the day. When you say that, that seems like Christianity 101, doesn't it? You just, you open your Bible, you read it, you do what it says. But the way most people live, that is not Christianity 101. That's an upper level course. That might even be an elective that they don't have to take because many do not do that. And those people Who don't do that may be believers, but they're not trusters of Jesus because trusters hear the voice of God and they respond. Most people do not allow scripture to shape their reactions and their responses to things like we've seen over the past months. Most people respond out of their feelings. That makes me feel angry. That makes me feel sad. That makes me feel afraid. What does the Bible say? I don't know. I'm talking about how I feel. Have you ever had anybody just completely irrational with you? Don't point at anybody who's in the same room as you. But you know, uh, you've ever had anybody just completely bonkers irrational. They were snippy, they were angry, they're irritated. And that was like in the first three minutes you were with them. And when you finally got brave enough to politely ask, is something wrong? They confess, Well, I just I've had a really, really bad day. And you want to point out that it's four o'clock and you just met them. Like you have not been a part of that day. You did not create the circumstances under which they are reacting out of. You're thinking how did that involve me? And it didn't. But our feelings, particularly negative or hard feelings, often spill over into our behavior in other areas of life. There's a technical term for the range of life in which this is expected to happen. It's called puberty. Because adolescents do not have the capacity to differentiate between getting their shoes tied together in gym class or their mother and father being a terrible human being responsible for all of the evil in the world. It's one exhausting ball of twine for them. And while there is a time that adolescent behavior is allowed and feelings run our lives, we're not in the sixth grade anymore. We have to inform our reactions, not by our feelings, even when our feelings are justified. There were justified feelings of frustrations in the protests all summer. There were justified feelings of frustrations in Washington on Wednesday. But even when our feelings are justified by what we inform our reaction out of what the word says, or we are just our own personal lawless riot going through life. In times of lawlessness, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit because what is inside comes out. There's a story of a Bible college freshman who was running up the stairs to his next class. And as he rounded one layer, uh, one level of stairs on on the landing, he didn't see somebody coming down. And he ran headlong into the person who was coming down and his books went flying everywhere. And he blurts out a curse word only to look up and realize it's one of his Bible college professors. And he immediately says, I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from. And the professor says, well, it must have been inside. Because it came out. Out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. So what informs our behavior, our outbursts, our reactions? It's the stuff inside. Our reactions are informed by our inner man. And it is so vital that our inner man is crafted less by our feelings and more than by what God says about how we are to respond. Francis Schaefer asks the important question, you know, how then shall we live? I'm thinking in light of all that has happened in the past months and this week, the question for us is how should we react? If we know it or not, people are watching. Your children that are old enough to understand the days we are living in, to those children, you are normalizing reaction to instability by how you're responding. Your neighbors who know you are a believer, you're about to craft their ideas about how Christians deal with these sorts of things. This is bigger than our own well being, our own feelings. If we represent Jesus, And our reactions bring shame on him, then shame on us. First Peter speaks directly to people who are facing a crisis about things that are going on and how they hold their heart and react. The, uh, The ESV says that Peter is writing to people who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Another translation calls them elect resident aliens. I think that's one of my favorite phrases of the week. Elect resident aliens that Peter is writing to. They are chosen. They've got a destiny. They live there. It's their home. But they've also got a, a relationship with a higher kingdom. And the book of First Peter lays out a strategy of response to things that will represent the king well. And it will bring life to the hearts of those who implement the strategy. If we do this, our reactions reflect Christ. Look at First Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 9. I told you we get to the Bible. I told you. I had to explain to you why this was going to be so vital. If first Peter five, six through nine, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God. So at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Here is the strategy from First Peter that should inform the reactions of the elect resident aliens, those of us who are of a higher kingdom, but we live here on this earth and we have a responsibility to it. This is how we should react towards one another in our current political climate. First of all, he says, humility. We are so confident in what we think we know about who is right and what is wrong that we make up our new, our minds before the newscast even starts. And we live in a day and age when we can pick a source of news that will reinforce what we thought before we turned the news on. So confident in what in what we think is right or wrong. Remember, remember the proverb, there are two sides to every story, and the first one that speaks sounds true until you hear the other side. The bride at the end of the age, having walked through the most glorious time and the most difficult time of following Jesus, that bride, that body of people will be humble and true. Can we choose to do that now so it doesn't have to be forced on us later? You know what being forced to be humble is? It's called humiliation. He's, He's inviting us here to embrace humility with our opinions so that we are not forced into humiliation later. He says, be humble in how you craft your response. Second thing that first Peter tells us is casting anxiety on Jesus. And the scripture says, because he cares for you. What he's inferring here is, this is not Jesus's first rodeo. He has a track record of great kindness towards humanity and specifically towards you. Some of us have suffered with great anxiety because we have looked to other people to alleviate the stress of recent days. We have looked to confirming words from other people, and some of them have responded wrong. Some of them have responded by agreeing with what we think, and it still hasn't been any consolation. Some of them are causing it, but even the best of them fail us. Cast your anxiety on Jesus because he cares for you. Has there ever been a time in your life, in your walk with Jesus, When he has not been kind. I mean, look in retrospect. Where was he ever not at work in your life? That is who can carry you through these times. Take your angst, take all your frustration, and quit putting it on those around you who, if you forget, aren't any better equipped to live through this than you are. And place it on Jesus. When you do that, your responses to current events reflect the character of his kindness and not the flakiness of the people who have failed you in the past. So he tells us, "Cast our be humble, cast our anxiety on Jesus. Then he tells us, be sober-minded and watchful. Casting your anxiety on Jesus is not sticking your head in the sand, okay? It's not ignoring events. It's being very aware of them. Casting anxiety on Jesus is not just like bungee jumping without a cord and singing, he's got the whole world in his hands. It's going to be fine. No, no. There is something to be said about realistic and situational awareness. And the church is called the soberness at this time in history when she may have more accurately been had described as having been drunk or asleep or out of touch. Think of January 2020 when so many prophetic voices were encouraging us with great 2020 vision and all of a sudden our glasses are fogged up because of the mask we're wearing waiting to get in line at Trader Joe's. It's like, where's my 2020 vision I was promised? I want my prophetic word I got back in January before you knew where Wuhan was on the map. The church wasn't sober. The church was drunk or the church was asleep. What does soberless, soberness look like in the climate we're in right now? At the very least, it means awareness that radical and inconvenient changes are not just possible. They are likely and they're coming our way. What if COVID was the grace of God on the church to get her to realize that big changes can happen overnight and will? Soberness means understanding the day that we live in is different than it was just a few months ago. And things can change in a moment. Just an example. Having found a way to silence political opinions, positive or negative, the only thing stopping big tech right now from silencing biblical opinions is they just haven't decided to do it yet. They clearly can do it. I don't see an expansion of our religious freedom on the horizon at the trajectory we're on. My guess is we will see the opposite. That's sobering. Soberness looks like realizing that most of the food in America is on a truck somewhere. It's not in the stores. And if those trucks get disrupted, the food doesn't come. The, it's a sober time. Maybe, are you, Randy, are you saying society's going to collapse? No, but I'm saying things happened this week that I never thought could have happened. You know, there was a show on TV a few years ago. Maybe it's still on, I don't know, called Doomsday Preppers. And understand that the title of a TV show is designed to get you to watch the show. That's the whole point. And so they, they'll title things crazy things. But if any of you watched it, you went from these people are crazy to, you know, a little food story is not a bad idea to, man, I'd have never thought of gr- about growing tilapia in my hot tub. You know, it's like the more you watched it, you're like, oh, it actually makes a little sense. And we laugh, but that guy's eating fish after we're eating shoe leather. We were drunk. He was sober. He prepared. Proverbs 22, 3 says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. There is a soberness and a mindfulness and a watchfulness that will dictate our responses to things around us. Because if our country descends into further chaos and suddenly things become very difficult, what would it mean for our family and for the kingdom? if we had been sober enough to understand the times store up a little for ourselves and for our skeptical neighbor, that we could be a blessing to them. I think it's time to be sober about where we are. And I, I'm not the, it sounds funny even for me to be saying this, somebody going, it sounds funny coming out of your mouth. I'm not the crazy survivalist guy. I just know that things are happening that we never thought could happen before. God's plan for our reaction in the current crisis is humility, casting anxiety on him, being sober-minded about things that are physical and about the spiritual. And for those of you who this is all just a little too Sermon on the Mount for, you were hoping for some more militant direction. That passage in 1 Peter closes with a mentality of resistance, a mentality of pushing back against the enemy who's pushing on you. Quitting is not a spiritual gift, it's not a virtue. It is not within the spiritual DNA of a Christian to live each day in each fight as if it's going to be the end of them. We need to be clear on who our enemy is. First Peter says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood around the world. Wherever war is raged, especially in those cases where an invader has taken ground where they did not belong, which is what our enemy has done over the past year, over the past eternity. Below the surface, wherever that's happened in history, there's been a hidden but active resistance. I was reading this week about Nellie Crows. She's 94 years old. She lives in Minnesota now, but she was born in France. In 1941, she was 14 And as the Germans invaded her area of France through her teen years, she watched some of her neighbors wilt under the German occupation. They just shrunk back. But her family joined the French resistance. And they were a part of underground fighters who did what they could to sabotage the German effort by blowing up bridges or wrecking trains, carrying munitions. And they frustrated the enemy by dismantling the structures that he had built to keep their people subjected. The Bible is stirring us to press back against the enemy, the devil, to dismantle the structures that he is building to keep people subjected. Some of those structures are mindsets. Some of those structures are how we structure our lives. And he's saying, let's look at the structures in our lives and what do you need to dismantle because the enemy is using them against you. Sometimes the resistance would aid allied soldiers who had parachuted into their area. The resistance would get to them before the French and rescue them and offer them grace and hospitality. Well, until they were walking again and can return to their battle post. And she says of those days in the resistance, you understand she's in her 90s. She lives in the United States now. She lived through World War II. She looks back on those days with fondness. And she says, back then when you made a friend, they were a friend for life because you were in the same boat. Friends, the church in America needs to form a resistance, not against a puppet government and not against a puppet master, but against the puppet master himself, against the enemy, against the devil. We begin to think of all of us in the same boat and unity will rise and we'll have friendships for life. Resistance to the enemy helps make that happen. Now, at the outset, I told you I wanted to recognize the situation we're in. I wanted to weigh the words of scripture and how we respond. And I wanted to give you hope that there was power to overcome. I'm just close this very quickly. Some of you are really discouraged this morning on behalf of our nation. Some of you are discouraged because you couldn't believe that happened. Some are discouraged because it didn't go in another way. And you're very near losing hope. Some of you didn't even have a dog in that fight. You don't think much about politics, but you're very disrupted in your spirit about what's going on in our nation. And let me just say, when people lose hope, they accept things that are unacceptable. They just acquiesce. When they lose hope, they start to die on the inside, and we are called to be the most alive people in history. And beyond that, we do not have reason to lose hope in the face of trials. In fact, we have exactly the opposite. We have a promise of peace and victory. Jesus was speaking to the disciples in John chapter 16. And he told them, while warning them of difficulty to come, he said, I have said these things to you, that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. He was talking, stop there. He was talking about trouble on two levels. He was talking about trouble at the end of the age, but he was also just talking about the troubles of life. You will have tribulation or trouble in the world, but take heart, I have overcome The world. He says, I am not bound or under the foot of this enemy that is wrecking things. And if you stand together and resist him, you can have an overcoming power like never before. These are beyond interesting times. I mean, it's who would have ever thought, but here we are. And if God is the God of history and the God of timing, then we are here for a purpose. And I wanna make sure that we don't miss our moment, but I also wanna make sure that we form our attitudes towards one another according to scripture, not just our gut reactions to things that we like and don't like. We are at a crossroads as a nation. We have got to consider how people are treated when it comes to minorities and the disadvantaged. We have got to do that different. We have got to think about where we want to go as a government and what we stand for in the ways of freedom and the ways of uh, personal expression. But we've got to do all of those things out of of a heart of humility, or we fall into the same lawlessness that we're watching our nation fall into now. I am more concerned about the hearts of people in this Zoom than I am about losing my own freedom. Although that's important. What happens at the heart level determines eternity. And that's what weighs on my heart.